0: Let me say up front just how grateful Michelle and I are as well as the Moss Groves again for uh, your all's expression of appreciation to us. We again are so thankful to be on this journey with you and uh, pray for you and again a big thank you. With that being said, we are in this series dealing with the issue of fear. I think it's safe to say that all of us in some way, even if it's on a surface level, have dealt with Uh, Or face the issue of fear. I want to read one scripture up front today, 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. 2 Timothy chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. Paul writing to Timothy, his son in the faith, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear. Now, this is important because hermeneutically, he's not just telling Timothy something that is just relevant to Timothy. And his day. He's writing to Timothy, but he's talking about that as the people of God, as the children of God, he's not given us. Not given us. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Let me say up front, you say, why does the issue of dealing with the spirit of fear matter? Well, because how many of you want to increase and abound in the experience of the love of God in you, and through you? How many of you want to grow in your experience of receiving the power of God in you and it working through you? How many of you want to grow in demonstrating a sound mind, a mind that has right equity and right reasoning and right biblical logic and judgment? And the reason why it's so relevant to us is the spirit of fear directly seeks to shut down those three areas of experience in our life love power and a sound mind i want to preach a message today titled fear tactics fear tactics and before i do i'd like to pray father i thank you that we can boldly come to your throne of grace through jesus we thank you that he's the perfect man he's the perfect way he's the perfect king and the perfect savior and lord we as the body of Christ, acknowledge our need of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, to see Jesus clear, to hear Him, to hear His words, to be empowered to obey Him and to manifest and demonstrate Him. We ask, Holy Spirit, that You would speak to hearts and lives today, make much of Jesus, and it's in His name I pray. Amen. A spirit of fear is a spirit of torment. A spirit of fear is a spirit of torment. Now for those who have been a part of this community for a while, most likely you have heard me mention the time I encountered a demon of fear that ended with me being in the psychiatric ward in the state of Kentucky for over two days and it was over 20 years ago. If you're new to this community, I encourage you to stay around. We'd love to have you be a part. And if you stay around long enough, I'm sure you will hear of that story at some point. But today, I don't want to look at that portion of my life journey in dealing with fear, but I want to look at another time in my life of dealing with fear. It was during this time that God began teaching me what biblical faith actually is and how to live by it. Listen, it's one thing to know the importance of the teaching or the doctrine or the theme of faith. It's another thing to learn how to live by faith. And God in this season that I'm referring to, He began to use what I was facing and going through to teach me not just to know about faith, but how to live by faith. And this brings us back to our main scripture in 2 Timothy 1 and 7 that reads, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so here I was at this point in my life where I was seeking to go through the process of repentance. It was a couple years after coming out of the psychiatric ward and surrendering my life to the lordship of Jesus. And I'm reflecting at this season upon this verse that God had not given us, the children of God, the people of God, that God had not given me a spirit of fear. But though I was meditating and aware of that scripture, I simultaneously was experiencing fear. And I began to think in my heart towards God. God, how is this verse true? And yet here in my experience, I am feeling fear. I am having fear. Did you catch that? Is that not the tension you and I face? That God your word says this, and yet my experience is trying to say this. Your word says, God, that you've not given me a spirit of fear, and yet my experience is seemingly trying to laugh or mock or hinder or demonstrate the opposite of what God's word says. Now, first, let me say what the verse does not say, because this is helpful. The verse does not say that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will not experience fear. The verse does not say that as a follower of Jesus Christ, you will not feel fear. Second, let me say what it does say. It says that God has not given regenerated followers of Jesus a spirit of fear. Meaning this, you may experience fear, you may have fear, you may feel fear, but God has not given you that. It does not come from God. And so this is part of the journey all of us are thrust into of learning how to live by faith because this is to be how the just live. How are the just supposed to live? How are you and I supposed to live? Are we to live based on what we feel, based on what we hear, based on thoughts that come? Based on circumstances, are we to live by faith? This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 117 as he quotes from the Old Testament. And he absolutely begins to frame the entire gospel of God in the new covenant through this framework, through this lens. He says that for in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. You want to experience the life that the kingdom of God has made available through the finished work of Jesus Christ? You want to experience the life that Jesus came to give for you and I to experience in fellowshipping with the Father and communing with the Holy Spirit and experiencing the promises of God that are yes and amen? Then the way we live and experience the promises of God and the goodness of God is by faith. That's very important because what that says is is that sincerity and, and desire is not enough. Passion is not enough. The way that God has designed us to experience the life that Jesus has for us is through faith. The just shall live by faith. And what I began to learn in this season is God began to walk me through this inner wrestling I had of, Lord, how can this scripture be true that I've not been given a spirit of fear and yet my experience is filled with fear? My emotions is feeling fear. I can feel the the fiery, the heat of a spirit of fear, God, in that season. God, what is going on? Well, I began to learn that biblical faith is not like an object. It's not like an object. It's not like a microphone. It's not something that is just an object. Listen, biblical faith is foundationally relational. Biblical faith is foundationally relational. Meaning, biblical faith does not exist apart from a person. And that person is Almighty God, as revealed through His Son, Jesus Christ, and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So when Paul in Scripture says, "...the just shall live by faith," What it's saying is is that the just, the righteous, those that are in right standing with God through their faith and trust in Jesus, they are living by relational trust. And notice this relational trust doesn't come all at once. Did you see it? He said that in it, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith there is levels or degrees of growing in our relational trust of the Father and Jesus, the King. That we can grow in our relational trust in Jesus in more areas of our life. Now think about this. If biblical faith is founded upon a relationship. If biblical faith means relational trust in God and His Son, Jesus Christ, if trust is directly linked to biblical faith, then we have to get to know the one that we need to trust. So often you and I are trying to trust one that we're not spending time getting to know more. We're we're trying to obtain, most all of us would accept, yes, the Bible talks about growing faith. The, The Bible talks about being established in faith. The Bible talks about becoming mature in faith. The Bible talks about moving forward, living by faith. And most of us would accept that. But we're trying to grow in faith without seeing it through the relational context of Scripture. That the way you grow in relational trust is getting to know the one word to trust in relationally. And that's why I spend time seeking God, worshiping God, praising God, opening the Scriptures of God, fellowshipping with the saints of God, the people of God. Why? Because these are all ways to get to know the one that I need to grow in my relational trust in. Trust in every area of life to be able to trust Him in my relationships, to be able to trust Him with my heart, to begin to trust Him with my emotions, to begin to trust Him with my job, to begin to trust Him with my finances, to begin to trust Him with my salvation, to begin to trust Him in every area of life. And this leads us to this question, and it's the question that I faced in this season of my life, is this, is His Word unchanging truth? Or is it my circumstances my feelings, and what I hear in my mind that determines what is reality. And this is very important because we see examples in Scripture like Jacob. Jacob experienced emotionally great grief and he's crying tears and yet he's crying over something that wasn't reality. But in his experience, it was real to him because of what was told to him, what he believed. He was told that his son had been killed, and yet his son was alive. So listen to me. There is the reality of our experience, but there's a greater ultimate reality of God's Word and God's perspective and God's truth. Is truth, ultimate reality dependent on my experience, my feelings, my circumstances, what I currently see? Or is it depending for the followers of Jesus upon the unchanging truth of God's Word? There are many times that what seems real to us and our experience is not necessarily a reality. And you and I as followers of Jesus should have a heart that desires God's ultimate reality for our circumstance, for our situation. And this thrusts us right back into the issue of biblical faith and relational trust. That's why Paul in Romans 10, 17 says this. He says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, by getting to know God because God, through His Word, reveals His clearly revealed will for you and I as followers of Jesus. You'll find His clearly revealed will in New Covenant teachings where it says, this is the will of God. You don't have to pray about it, fast about it, meditate about it. God clearly says, this is my will for you, my children. So faith comes comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But here's the question that we got to ask ourselves. What happens when our hearing is messed up? What happens if faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God? But what happens when our ears and our hearing is messed up? You ever been in a conversation with a person? And you're seeking to communicate and say something? And yet they hear something totally contrary than what you're saying? So what happens when God's saying something when God's Word says something, but because of our experience in life or our hearing, our hearing's messed up. Listen, this is why God raises up sons and daughters in maturity to mentor other sons and daughters of His. This is why God gives Ephesians 4, 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, meaning God, for all of us, uses mature brothers and sisters and leaders around us to dispense His grace by the anointing of His Holy Spirit to help us when our hearing is unable to rightly hear. What does it mean? It means you and I all need God's grace through others to help us in times when we're not able to see correctly, hear correctly. We have to, listen, be taught faith. We have to be taught faith. And in this season, my hearing obviously was not adequate because I'm wrestling in my heart saying, God, how can your word be true when my experience is saying otherwise? That in a way whether we realize it is saying, God, how can you be true, unchanging when my circumstance is changing? And God began to use books and writings of men and women of God that had went before me on this journey that taught about faith, that understood biblical faith. And God began to use Outside means His people and His ministers to begin to teach me what I did not in my own ability have the ability to hear from His Word. Hebrews 11.1 1 began to be a scripture that consistently, and as I glean from teachings and books of other ministers and ministries regarding faith, would be a focal point. Because it defines biblical faith. In Hebrews 11.1 it says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word substance there is a Greek word that's also used for foundation. Foundation. Oftentimes you hear people say, Peter walked on water. Well, sort of. But really what he walked on is the foundation of faith that Jesus' word to him created. Biblical faith is a substance. And the word substance there means foundation of things hoped for. So faith is how the things that you and I hope for materialize. Faith is the way that things come to be seen in our life, come to be experienced. Faith is the seed of the things we hope for. The evidence of things not seen. Evidence there is the Greek word that means confidence. Meaning Faith is evidence and confidence of things not seen. So what this means is, is that biblical faith and the journey of following Jesus doesn't mean that I won't see circumstances that look fearful. That I won't feel emotions that feel fearful. That I will never hear the fiery darts and lies of the enemy to my Mind that seeks to create fear. It just means there is another substance, another evidence beyond what my current experience is trying to communicate and say and cause me to perceive. That there's another evidence. There's the evidence of God's nature. There's the evidence of God's work. There's the evidence of God's word. There's the evidence of what is unchanging even when my emotions and my circumstances and my feelings do change. And that's God's nature. That's Jesus Christ who according to Hebrews 13.8 is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is the unchanging word of God and scriptures. There is the will of God that's been settled in heaven. There is the unchanging aspects of God in His Word. So faith is the substance of things not seen. And this substance, this foundation, this evidence, watch this, is derived from God. Because you cannot disconnect the issue of biblical faith from the framework of Scripture that it's relationally. It's relationally. It comes from God. It's derived from God. Now how is faith the substance of something that's not seen? Well, think about this. We all have money that we've never seen. you got money in the bank that you've never seen. Unless you're living paycheck to paycheck. And if that's the case, we want to help you with financial stewardship. But Meaning, if you got some money saved in the bank, and you got automatic deposit, or you get a check and you put it in the bank, you have money in the bank, but you've never seen it. But your statement is evidence in substance for something that's not seen. Let me put it this way. There are people... Who have a deed to a land or property, but they've never actually seen the land or the property that they have the deed for. Likewise, faith is a substance, it's an evidence that's derived from God for something that we've not yet seen, but yet we hope for. Hope for. Some of you have birth certificates that are the evidence of a father or a mother who, you, who you've never seen. Likewise, faith is evidence and substance of what we hope for, of things that we've not yet seen yet in our experience and in our life. So the just followers of Jesus, we live on the foundation and on the evidence and on the confidence of a substance that does not originate in what can be seen. So let me tell you these two Small points. What this means is faith is related to the unseen, but fear is related to the seen. If you want to experience and derive more faith to live, it comes from un- the unseen, from God in Jesus Christ, whom we've not yet seen. yet believing we rejoice. But fear is related to the seen. So living by fear is related to the seen and living by faith is related to the unseen. So what does this mean for you and I? It means the more that you and I learn to focus on the unseen realities of God's Word for who we are in Christ, the more faith can be developed and grow in our life. But if all you do is focus consistently on your failures, on your own humanity, on your own weaknesses, on what is currently the scene of your experience, all that can do is strengthen fear, strengthen the wrong expectation. So Paul, he tells the Corinthians, he says, listen, the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Do you know you can bear You can have the eternal will of God come to bear on your experience. You can have the eternal Word of God come to bear on your experience. But if all you do right now is focus on the fear that you might be feeling and experiencing, then that fear is going to be strengthened if you just focus and look at what is seen. But you and I have to learn to go spend time with God in the unseen, in the secret place of prayer, and through... Spending time and getting to know God, the Holy Spirit authors and creates more relational trust in God and in His way. This is the role that fasting has. I want to tell you how fasting has been a large and huge blessing in my life. Because in in fasting, the experience has been used to help me understand temptation and feelings and emotions related to other areas of my life. Let me give you an example. When I began to fast, when I came to the Lord, surrendered to His Lordship over 20 years ago, and began to grow in fasting, biblical fasting is abstaining for food and drink for a godly purpose. Not dieting, not for a selfish, but for a godly purpose. And what I begin to experience is, believe it or not, if you don't eat, you experience hunger. (laughs) But it was in that moment that my body is screaming, even even grumbling on the inside, asking for food. I'm hearing thoughts that's demanding, you better eat. Feed me that I realized in that experience there was space between what I was feeling and what I was hearing where I could make a decision. I began to be aware that I could feel something and hear something and yet there was another aspect of how God created me and created you that I am a spirit who has a soul that lives in the body. That I am not just my body. Or that means when I, when people have died and their bodies in the castic, they no longer exist. No, no. My body is an instrument. And it's to be an instrument of righteousness, of Christ, of God's will. So my body and my emotions can experience something, and yet what I'm feeling and experience don't have to dictate or drive me. And I began to realize I can be hungry and yet not eat. I can hear thoughts feed me and not feed my body. And that began to help the Lord teach me and understand experientially when it comes to fear. That it's not as a follower of Jesus, I'm never going to feel fear. I'm never going to have circumstances or hear things that create the feeling of fear. It's just... That there's space after I hear something and feel something that allows me to make a choice on what I want to trust in. What I'm seeing, what I'm feeling, what I'm hearing, or what God and His Word has said. There was space there. That there's more to me that meets the eye. And that is the blessed benefit you and I have through access of Scriptures to memorize Scripture that in those moments when fear is saying something else, when our emotions are saying and screaming something else, that through the memorization of Scripture, we can in that moment feel that space of what we're going to choose to direct our actions or reactions to be filled with Scripture that we've memorized. Memorize. Listen. Listen. I can feel it, but I do not have to fulfill it. Did you know I can feel angry and yet not have to fulfill anger? Did you know I can feel hunger and not have to fulfill the hunger? Did you know I can feel fear? and not have to fulfill what the fear's trying to motivate and push me to do? Listen, I can hear fear, but I do not have to live fear. I can see what fear tries to put in my mind, but I don't have to seek it. This is learning how the just the children of God are to live and experience Jesus Christ and the life that He's made possible. Let me talk now about the mind's picture. In 1 Kings 19-1, I want to use this story. It says, And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also." if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I'm no better than my father's. Then, as he lay and slept under a broom tree, suddenly an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. Number one, did you notice? When he saw it. That's what the text said. What do you mean, when did he, when he saw it? What the text said is a messenger was sent by Jezebel and just told Elijah Jezebel's words. But it says he saw something. See, this is the fear tactics of a spirit of fear. This is how we know it wasn't just words. There was a spirit behind the words. Why? Because when Elijah heard the words, he didn't just hear the words, he saw something. He saw his life being over. See, the devil and spirits of fear use words, use circumstances to seek and get us to see something in our mind. Watch this. The devil and demons of fear seek to frame and form in our mind a picture of his desire future for us. And the enemy, he uses things to affect our mental picture to try to keep us from being able to see hope. To see the potential for God's will in our life. To see that our circumstances can change. That God can restore us. That God can deliver us. That God can strengthen us. To see the possibility of a better future in Jesus Christ. Did you notice it? That the mental picture moved Elijah to run for his life. That which was seen by his mind is now directing his actions and his life. Listen to me. And yet, it's not God's reality. This is what the enemy and the spirit of fear wants to do in our lives. Is to put his image and picture in our mind so now... The internal image is directing our motives, directing our intentions, directing our actions, directing our behaviors. It moved him and he's running for his life. Now for some of us, listen, when those spirits of fear and the devil seek to frame and form our expectation of the future with his mental image, we don't run for our life. Listen, for some of us we respond... By running from our life. We seek to hide. I've been in those seasons. To hide in bed. To hide under the covers. To not begin to look at the responsibilities. To seek to ignore what it is that we're facing. What it is that we're going through. To seek to ignore what stands before us. So notice when he saw it, then secondly from the text we see... Then next, Elijah desires it. Now this is very alarming, but it's very insightful of how the enemy seeks to work. First he saw it, and once that mental image framed and formed this picture of what his future would be like, it begins to affect his emotions where he actually desires it. Elijah now desires what the words of Jezebel led him to see. He is desiring to die. So what this means is, is the mind's picture, the pictures of your mind are directly affecting your will and your emotions. Just like the picture that got into the mind of Elijah through the words of Jezebel, who is evil, who worshiped demons, who according to Scripture was wicked, in the eyes of the Lord, and her words weren't just words, it released Satan's attack in a spirit of fear upon Elijah. And now this mental picture in Elijah is directly affecting his will and emotions. Watch this. Where he then even begins to believe that that's God's will for him. Watch this. He's praying to die. He's praying for God to do what Jezebel called him to see and what he now in his mind has as the image for his future. He's not just seen it. He's not just desiring it. He's now praying and believing it's God's will for you. How many of you realize the tactic of the spirit of fear? That he's trying to get you to see that you'll never walk in the victory that Jesus has made available. That you'll never experience the beauty of Christ for the ashes and the residue of your past. That you'll have to live with shame and have to live with the bondages of your past the rest of your days. That you'll never walk and stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has made you free. That you might be inwardly righteous but he's trying to convince you you'll never practice and demonstrate outwardly the righteousness you are. And when you believe what the devil's trying to frame as your future, then it begins to affect your will and your affections. Where then, watch this, you'll begin to desire to stay in a place less than where God has raised you up in Christ Jesus. And then we begin to compromise and we begin to create wrong theology and we begin to find scriptures to try to justify what the enemies tried to frame our life. See, evil forebodings are evil mental images and feelings that the devil tries to put in our life that affects our future expectation. But watch this. When we allow the devil's mental pictures and his future expectations for our life to frame and form in our mind, it affects our present pursuit. Watch this. Elijah's no longer pursuing the next word of God for him. Elijah's no longer pursuing the next assignment of God for him. Elijah's pursuing and desiring the very thing the devil desires for him. He's pursuing and desiring and asking to die. But then it says that suddenly an angel touched him. Boy, I thank God for a God that's a suddenly God. I thank God that the anointing of God can still suddenly touch us. That where the enemy has tried to bind us and hold us and grip us the anointing of God still breaks the yoke. That there's still a suddenly of God that can break off the mental image and pictures that the enemy's tried to frame and form in our life. That we still serve a God that where it seems impossible to us, it's very possible to God. We serve a suddenly God. All it takes is one touch from the power of God. One touch from the hand of Jesus one suddenly and those power of the fear tactics to be broken off our life suddenly an angel broke it off of him that's how we know it was a spirit behind the words because suddenly it was broken off of him and the angel said arise and eat and that's what we have to do we got to arise and eat Jesus Jesus We got to arise and eat the words and the promises of what God has told us. We got to let the word do what, why He gave it to wash our minds from the lies of the enemy and the fiery thoughts and darts of the enemy. But listen to me. What we find is Elijah was alone. And what I'm trying to tell us today is don't process things alone. If you try to process things alone in your life where you need to relate and trust, it's very easy for the devil to get in and begin to frame you with the wrong expectation. Elijah's trying to process it alone and it wasn't healthy. That's why we have to do life of following Jesus with each other. I'm talking today about fear tactics. In 1 Samuel 17 and 8 we see another major fear tactic of the devil. It says in 1 Samuel 17 and 8 then he Goliath stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you come up came come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Verse 16, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself forty days, morning and evening. Say morning and evening. And David left his supplies in the hand of the supply keeper. He ran to the army and came and greeted his brothers. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel, and it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter, and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Three things we see here when it comes to morning and evening. Messaging, momentum, and memories come into play. Notice that Goliath morning and night, morning and evening for 40 days is seeking to intimidate seeking to stand in the way of God's covenant and God's promise and it's the same for you and I as the children of God. That the enemy will try to stay morning and night through circumstances to intimidate you. That God's not with you. That God has left you. That you have to compromise. That you're never going to experience the life that Jesus has made possible. That yes, other brothers and sisters can experience the goodness of the Lord, but not you. And he'll stand there and he'll mock you morning and evening. Morning and evening. Just like Goliath stood and cried out morning and evening. The enemy used his words. But listen, these words are not just words we hear with our natural ear. They're thoughts that we hear. You get in growth phases. We'll teach you more of how God has designed the new covenant in our life to work and how a main way the devil seeks to shoot fiery darts is through thoughts that we hear. Not everything you hear is your thoughts. That's why Second Corinthians 10 says you gotta learn to take thoughts captive into obedience of Christ. Least he add bunch of thoughts together to make an argument against the true knowledge of God and then him add a bunch of arguments together to blind you from seeing the perfect heavenly father and the perfect man Jesus Christ and his perfect will for your life and that the Holy Spirit, the helper is here to allow and lead you to experience it. But here you see the devil wants to constantly message us. He wants to use circumstances and words and things around us, morning and evening, to begin to lead us to be afraid, to be fearful. He'll use the actions of others. In this story, He'll use the inactions of others. In verse 24, it said, And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. Here we see that one of the messaging that the enemy tries to use morning and evening, day after day, towards us, is comparison. Here's Goliath. He's the the tallest man on earth at the time. He is, I mean, a a high measure and stature. And here he is saying, find a man that's like me that will fight me. And that's the messaging of the enemy. Even to you ladies, and to you men, and to you young men, and, and... and old men, and to all people and persons, is that he takes a standard, a so-called man or woman, and he puts that day after day before you and says, compare yourself to that one. If you only looked that way, if you were only that successful, if you only came from that family, if you only had that color of skin, if you only had that much finances, if you only had that much significance, and the devil uses this perfect model man or woman supposedly to allow us to try to compare ourselves to it and to cowardly and fear that we are not fearfully and wonderfully made, that we are not the beloved or God, that we are not made in the image of God and accepted in Jesus Christ. Goliath said, give me a man. And what this leads to is it leads to insecurity and fear-based living. Insecurity is a fear-based living. But there's also a faith-based living. And a faith-based living isn't where you and I measure up to what the messaging of the devil puts before us morning and evening through society and through celebrities or through people supposedly that are perfect, that we look to from a distance. No, no, no. Listen, faith-based living... Is related to the only perfect man, Jesus Christ, and relating in trust and faith to him that he's the only perfect one. He's the only one that can measure up perfectly to the Father, and that's why the Father sent him to bridge the gap where you and I don't measure up. Many people, they live in insecurity and fear based living because compared to the Goliath of culture that the devil tries to message, they think I'm not a man. I'm not a man based on that image of Goliath. I'm not successful based on that image. I'm not valuable based on that image. I'm not beautiful based on that image. But faith-based living is that through my relational trust currently in the unseen person of Jesus Christ, I'm accepted by the Father. And I can have a joy and a peace because of my relational trust in the perfect man, Jesus Christ and the New Testament mystery is this that God has now made a way through the mystery of the cross and resurrection to put the perfect man on the inside of you and I. That you and I don't have to be perfect in our own ability anymore we don't have to continue to live in the comparison trap. We don't have to continue to live in fear based living of insecurity and try to measure ourselves by the standards or the worldviews of the world around us. That the mystery of the gospel is that God has now put the perfect man, the perfect person Jesus Christ on the inside of us us and it's christ in us that's the hope of glory hallelujah but there's messaging it's a fear tactic of the enemy then there's momentum notice that it wasn't just morning and evening one day it was morning and evening morning and evening the enemy tries to take momentum and here's what's interesting when something happens repeatedly it creates an impression Meaning when the devil comes with his thoughts and with his fear and with his image, listen, until it's confronted, it will not go away. A spirit of fear until confronted will not go away. Jezebel's spirit will not go away until confronted. The enemy seeking to control and contain the power and the life of God on the inside of you will not go away until it's confronted. And when it's not confronted, it will continue day after day and the enemy will use that momentum to paralyze us in the same place emotionally and the same place circumstantially until confronted. The army of Israel has been paralyzed and they're in the same circumstance day after day. Day after day. A spirit of fear will not stop until correctly confronted it will keep speaking until it's made to be silent in the name of Jesus. I've been in that place of momentum where I didn't confront, wasn't in a place to stand up and confront when the attack came. And so day after day, there was the threats of the enemy, the voice of the enemy, his desire a picture of my future. And there I was just wanting to cower in the bed to not face the reality of the oppression and the voice of the enemy. And what I finally came to understand is there's times like that where no one else, no other brother, no other sister can stand up for you. They can encourage you, but at some point you have to stand up in the name of Jesus and the identity of your relational faith and trust in Jesus of who He's made you and begin to confront the image and the voice of the enemy and say, Enough! In the name of Jesus. The way to get that spirit to shut up is to use your mouth and tell it in the name of Jesus, Shut up. But there was momentum in the wrong direction. But then you see the power that memories play. It said that they heard the words of the Philistines and they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man? This is very interesting. It seems to imply that David heard the words that Goliath said, but he hadn't seen the man yet. Because they ask him, Have you seen the man? Well, you don't ask someone, Have you seen the man? If you know that they've seen the man. What this means is, is Israel's army, because of the momentum of the messaging of the enemy towards them, could not see anything other than what the intimidating words of Goliath had created as their mental image and expectation for each day. They could not see anything else. They heard words, but they only saw the mental pictures day after day. This is going to be our lot in life. But watch this. David hasn't been in the battle day after day. David hasn't seen Goliath. And so when he hears the same words everybody else heard, all he can see is his memories, his God, not this man named Goliath all Israel when they heard the words all they could see was Goliath all they could see is the intimidation all they could see is the circumstance but David hadn't been in the battle so David hears the same words but all he can see is his man God Almighty and his hand not this man called Goliath why? because David had memories in 1 Samuel seventeen thirty-seven, come on Jesse it says moreover David said the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and may the Lord be with you. David heard the words, but the words couldn't put an image in his mind because David, when he heard the words, he saw the faithfulness and the memories of God's hand in his life and with his life. David said, Oh, I got memories. I got when God delivered me from the pall of the bear, from the pall of the lion. And He'll deliver me from this Paul of Goliath, from this hand of man. He'll deliver me as well. See, the Paul of the lion is fearful to the one who doesn't know the faithfulness of God's hand. The Paul of the bear is fearful to the one who doesn't know the faithfulness of God's hand. Goliath is intimidating to the one who don't have memories of the faithfulness of God. What this means for you and I is that it's as we start living and walking by faith, the Holy Spirit will lead us to gain memories of the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. What do you do? Here's what you do. When you're facing such things, and the enemy's voice, and it's day after day, remember, it won't go away until you confront it. Number one, you express the faithfulness of God. That's what David did. He expressed the faithfulness of God. Secondly, you express you have a covenant with God. Listen to me. I need to be, I need to attack this. We have brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, and they act like that their experience has to be the same of unbelievers who don't have a covenant with God. I'm telling you, you gotta learn from this story that Israel and the armies of Israel, they thought that they were gonna have to have the same experience day after day because the context is that they were just feeding unbelief. But David wasn't in the context. He had been out in the field in the presence of God, worshiping God, experiencing the faithfulness of God. And he brought the gospel of God into a context where other people had been blinded from the gospel. you got to understand, child of God, you're not like other people in this world. You're like them, yeah, in experiencing some things, but you got a covenant with Almighty God. You don't have to go through life without the hand of God involved in what tries to come into your life. So yes, you can find examples that it happened to this person and happened to that person, but we're not this person and that person. We have a covenant with Almighty God through the blood of Jesus and His body that was broken. And God does me good not because I'm good or deserve good, but because He's a covenant-keeping God. And in my relational trust in the perfect man, Jesus, it's on that covenant God's got promises for my circumstance and situation. But you got to express... I'm in covenant with God. But then you got to end the battle. Because after David took that stone and that slingshot and his trust in the faithfulness of God and it hit Goliath right between that armor and he fell down. Listen, Goliath was unconscious, but he wasn't dead. And here's what happens. There are seasons where that fear tactic of the enemy settles. It's like Goliath's unconscious. And you think that you're free from it. You think you deliver from it. But you've not yet expressed yet the faithfulness of God, expressed your in covenant with God, and confronted and made that demon once and for all shut up through the name of Jesus. And what I'm trying to tell you is, is if you're in this season where there's been patterns of fear, but right now the fear's unconscious, It can come back. you got to end the battle. And David, he took the sword. And he went over to Goliath as it was unconscious. And he severed the head off of Goliath. What I'm telling you, listen, is we got a death, a a total full death of Jesus so that you can have a full victory in Christ. Jesus didn't die partially so we could have partial victory. He died fully so you could have a full victory. But this brings in the issue of the hand of man and the hand of God. Goliath represents the hand of man empowered by demons. He had six toes and each foot. What you see is the malformation of the enemy empowering a human. And that's what he represents that it wasn't just words. He wasn't just a person. He was someone that was energized by Satan. And I don't know about you before, but there's been times in my life that I didn't necessarily fear circumstances. I, I didn't fear having to walk through a trial, but at times I feared how the enemy might use a man. of what a, a human and a man could do to me. And as people of God, we, not, we got to remember that yes, there is the hand of man and the devil loves to try to use the hand of man. But we serve a God who's got a hand also. And there's the hand of God. David understood this. David committed to sin later in his life. And the prophet came to David and said, the Lord's judgment is you got three options of how the judgment will show up in your life. Either there can be seven years of famine, you can flee three, three months before the enemies, or you can have a three-day plague in the land. And David said, he said, please let us fall into the hand of the Lord, for His mercies are great. But please do not let me fall into the hand of man. So the Lord sent a plague upon Israel, and 70,000 people died. Psalm 74 and verse 4, come on, man, said, Deliver me, O my God, out of the hand of the wicked, out of the hand of the unrighteous and cruel man. In Joshua 4 24, it says that God dried up the Red Sea that all the people of the earth may know the hand of the Lord, that it is mine. He watches that you may fear the Lord your God forever. In the story of Goliath, Israel forgot the hand of God. All they could see is the hand of man. And the fear tactics of the enemy and the voice of Goliath. But in 2 Kings 17.39 it says, But the Lord your God you shall fear, and He will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. When we think about the hand of man and the hand of God, it thrusts us into the issue of the fear of man versus the fear of God. Why is this important? Because the only way to walk freely from fearing man and fearing the hand of man is to learn to know the hand of God and have the fear of God. And that's why the book of Proverbs says that the beginning of knowledge and the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And I got a word. I got a prophetic message I'm going to preach in two weeks. I encourage every one of you to be here and invite people. But I'm giving it time to simmer to make sure. That it's not filtered, gonna be filtered through my personality or anything, but it's gonna be totally ready and purified and delivered in sufficiency and depending on the Holy Spirit. But I got a word for the Lord. Two weeks. I'm gonna talk about being shaken, but not but being shaken and being stirred. But to begin to prepare hearts and minds, you gotta understand it said that it's knowing the fear of the Lord. God did His hand so that they would come to know the fear of the Lord that would liberate Baal from the fear of man. And the fear of the Lord starts with this understanding. The Lord says the earth is mine. The Lord says the earth is mine. The Lord says the land is mine. The Lord says the animals and all the beasts of the field are mine. The Lord says the silver and the gold are mine. The Lord says the souls on the earth are mine. And to make sure we understood, He said everything under heaven is mine. Listen, trusting in the hand of God starts with the fear of the Lord by understanding that this earth, the land, silver and gold, finances, every human, is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. Listen, it's not even the the people who currently are under control or in control of those things or affecting those things, underneath it all, it's the Lord's. Listen, the earth is the Lord's. The land is the Lord's. The silver and gold is the Lord's. All souls and all people are the Lord's. All the nations are the Lord's. And it's from that foundation of the fear of the Lord that it's His that we begin to grow in relational trust, to believe that the hand of God is greater than the hand of man. And you know what else is the Lord's? The Gospel. We don't get to teach and preach what we want. Jesus said, the doctrine is the Father's. The doctrine, the words are His. My doctrine is not mine, it's the Father's. And then, guess what else is His? Vengeance. Vengeance. And when we leave vengeance in God's hands, things can begin to fall into the hands of God. See, listen, fear tactics of the enemy takes the fear of God and it takes receiving faith from God ultimately to end the battle. And it starts with you and I recognizing that it might look like things belong to man, but it don't belong to man. Everything that I mention, God says is mine. And I might tell stories people that's experienced throughout. You say, well, wait a minute. When, when the Lord says that all the souls are mine, you know what that means? The bodies of every human being, even those that are unbelievers, even wicked bodies, belong to Him as well. Even though they're being used wrong, they belong to Him. And that's why Jesus on earth, He lived with such fear of God and confidence in the hand of God that He was not moved by fear of man in the hand of man because He said this. He said that not one of the hands of man can touch a hair on my head apart from the Father's will. Listen to me. It's the fear of the Lord that breeds confidence and relational trust because you and I have a covenant with Almighty God in His Almighty Hand. and the body of Christ, we don't have to live insecurity, fear, living like the unbelievers. We can live in relational trust and faith living Because we're in covenant with God through Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.